I'm, I know very little about you. We have awkwardly <laughs> stared at each other for the last eight minutes. It's everything about the concept is what we don't do anymore. We don't just have conversations with people where there's not an agenda. Right? It's like meeting a stranger in a parking lot or something and then like, hey, you want to have coffee? <laughs> yes. Oh, so how are you doing? How's your day? <laughs> exactly. Well, we are live here with Coffee with Humans with my soon-to-be new friend, Christina. She's still actually a stranger. I only met her about eight minutes ago. That's the essence of Coffee with Humans. Two people just bumping into each other randomly and then saying, hey, let's grab coffee. Before we got on the broadcast, I was thinking if we could have this discussion anywhere, where would that be? And I came up with, we, we could be sitting in Iceland in a hot spring. Lovely. If you could have this discussion anywhere, where would it be for you? Love this question. I'm stumped right now. I'm not really a... Uh beach person in terms of getting in with the aquatic life but i do like to be near it and feel the breeze from it yeah. and so anywhere by a beach what drew you to clicking the button to have coffee with me was searching and i found this one and it grabbed me it pulled me in and it just seemed your podcast and coffee with humans seemed very welcoming that you were really eager and enjoyed just making meaningful connections coffee with humans is like sunday brunch <laughs> I love Sunday brunch. <laughs> okay, good. Because, well, you're in the right place. Only Perfect. there's no food. Um. <laughs> Sean, my new friend, is live here on Coffee with Humans with me. Welcome, dude. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So uh, let's get this out of the way. I'm out of Chicago area. Where are you located? I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Oh, my gosh. Santa Barbara. So it is, it was negative eight when I woke up this morning. How's, how's things for you? Do you want me to tell you? Uh, <laughs> it's overcast today, but I mean, the weekend it was 72 degrees. It was like a summer day. Oh my gosh. Isn't it fascinating that you can travel just a little bit like north or south and get like 80 degree temperature swings? Yeah, especially here. I mean, California is a really big state. So there are places that are Similar to your weather where you're at, but I'm on the coast, man. It's pretty lavish over here. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it. I've never been to Santa Barbara. I have been, I, I think I went to an airport once in California and then immediately bopped out. Uh, and I feel like I've been over California maybe, but I've never been there. Shame. Hmm. You like it? Yes. Yeah, it's. It's the spot to be, man. I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't traveled too much. I haven't had the need to. Growing up in Santa Barbara for me has been like paradise. Uh, so especially, you know, where I'm located, it's a pretty big tourist destination. It's an hour north of Los Angeles. So it's out of the like the hectic lifestyle down there. But it's it's beautiful. And um, yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. Well, before you commit to it, I think I think you should try negative eight. Uh, in Northern Illinois, <laughs> we're going to negative 15 on Sunday. It's a great time to join us. I would try that just to have that experience. I don't know how, you know, enthused I would be to live out there, but I would definitely <laughs> come out there and run around in the negative 15 degree weather. <laughs> well, that'd be good. Uh, well, you've, you've got a really interesting title that you, um, that you filled in when you signed up for coffee with humans. And I, I put it in the title of our chat, finding freedom within a prison cell, which is a real hook. It's a grabber. And I think, you know, I've, everybody's got a journey right in, in our lives. I've got my journey. You've got yours. 
Uh, but that's a that's a pretty big hook, and I want to get to that. Um, but before we get to that, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put up a background. I'm trying new things, and you're my guinea pig. Is that okay? <laughs> I feel like you're a good guinea pig kind of guy. Yeah, let's roll with it. Uh, so because it's winter, <laughs> in honor of winter, I'm just gonna put up a little snowy background. Uh, on the right. background there. Is that okay? Yeah, man. All right. And then one thing I've I've never done is I've never I've never delved into current events with anybody. But you also seem like a current event guy. And for whatever reason, this this event has made it from Instagram, just a random Instagram thing. It's gone viral and now it's on CNN. And I feel like if it's made it to CNN, like it should be on Coffee with Humans. I will. <laughs> we'll see if I'm right or not. Uh, but this. This is the uh, current event. I'm going to play this video here. Uh, one second. Boop. We'll see what we get. Ready for this? Let's do it. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, hold on. How do I do this? How do I play? How do I play without, with noise on? Hold on. You had it before. Remember, oh, we practiced once you had it. Yeah, I did. I'm bad at Instagram. That's the problem. Here we go. Hey, y'all. For those of y'all that know me know, my hair has been like this for about a month now. It's not by choice. No. It's not by choice. When I do my hair, I like to, you know, finish it off with the little got the big glue spray. You know, just to keep it in place. Well, I didn't have any more got the big glue spray, so I used this. Gorilla glue spray. Bad, bad, bad idea. Y'all, look. My hair, it don't move. You hear what I'm telling you? It don't move. I've washed my hair 15 times and it don't move stiff well Woo. my hair so i'm gonna tell y'all like this if you ever ever run out of got to be glue spray don't ever ever use this unless you want your hair to be like that for i don't um <clears throat> i'm not in construction i i I've constructed a handful of things in my life, but I just not sure what would possess a person to try Gorilla Glue uh, in their hair. Yeah, I can't believe she did that. Um, I think pretty much anyone would know not to do that. I have young children and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my daughter cut her hair, apparently, just, just recently. She told me all about it. And she's like, I took a couple inches off and it looks good, like. But um, the worst that we had was the, some hair on the floor. But never once would I think, you know, I should try heavy-duty gorilla, gorilla Glue spray. She reached out to Gorilla Glue, apparently, and they said, try some alcohol and some other stuff and just, like, work it in there. But, but it's been that – it was that way for months. A plastic surgeon actually offered to take it off of her head. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 
That's some that's some <laughs> plastered on hair. Yeah. Uh huh. I just had to bring yeah, that it's up. Like in, <laughs> it's like in the um, the movies where someone has to look bald, even though they're not bald, so they kind of like paint that fake <laughs> bald head on it. It's like that, just with some hair on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I also think I I would like to think. I mean, I've left things sit for a long time. Important things sometimes. Um. Uh, for for out of fear and all sorts of stuff, but I I would I would like to think that if my hair was completely plastered to my head, that I also would not let it sit there for like a month before I reached out to someone. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, probably maybe a day at the most. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm just thinking now. I don't have like I I don't have hardly any hair, so I I'm probably not one to speak about it. That's <sighs> yeah. That's up for debate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, every time I watch this and I don't do a lot of stuff on Instagram, but every time I watch it, <laughs> I just, it makes me laugh so hard. Well, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for indulging yeah, me on the current event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. So <laughs> on to, on to more serious topics. What's, what's been on your mind recently? Recently, well, you know, um, start to a new year. I got um, a son. He's four months old. Yeah, I'm, I'm a family man. So I have my children at home. I have my son who's four months. My daughter's a year and a half. My oldest son is 10. So he's doing school um, at home. And so for me, you know, it's balancing work with raising a family. Uh, it's a lot. And, you know, I do a lot of stuff. So I'm always just trying to find that right balance. So um, that's really been a big focus on my mind. I think last year worked really hard to achieve a lot of things that I wanted to achieve. Um, and this year I, I was focused just more on after the atmosphere last year and what everyone went through, realizing just the importance of family and being in the moment and maybe getting out in nature. So that's really my focus right now is to take my family to beautiful places, be in the moment, watch my children grow up. Uh, that's, that's what brings me a lot of joy, man. That's awesome. Those are fun ages, and it's a it's a good a good space that you're in at 72 degrees to take kids outside. <laughs> <laughs> I try to get my daughter yeah. to, to go on walks, and it's reasonably successful in the summertime because she's got a little dog, and we walk. My two grown my two boys are grown and gone, uh, but I've got a 14 year old girl. Uh, but getting her out in the wintertime doesn't happen. She doesn't oh. want anything to do with it. Yeah, I couldn't imagine living where you do and just being inside all day for six months straight, right? Like who's going outside in 15 degree weather and what do you do? Especially kids, right? Oh yeah. But if I get her out, she's it's under duress. She's uh she's a little uh whiny about it. Which I get it. I I my parents used to take me um cross country skiing, which is a dreadful sport. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not like downhill where you just, you know, sit at the top and, and the gravity powers you. <laughs> no, cross country skiing is just <laughs> like quads and glutes <laughs> going back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I hated it. Yeah. That's the workout. You probably didn't enjoy that too much at that age. No, I, but we would go as a family, uh, and, and then at the end, it, so they groomed the golf courses. And they'd have these little paths for for uh, cross country skiing. You know, you've probably seen it on the Olympics or something. Yeah. Uh, and 
Then at the end, after you're hot and sweaty and cold, frigidly cold, and your feet are numb, then you <laughs> go into the clubhouse and sit around and have hot cocoa. And that was the, <laughs> <laughs> that was that's my that's my memory of of cross country skiing. And fortunately, uh, at some point in time, people tired of that. <laughs> but dad and mom be like, let's go skiing. <laughs> like, let's not. <laughs> I don't Good know. Good memories. I have, not, memories. I have not forced my kids into that. One of my kids is in Phoenix. Or no, that's not true. He's in Tempe, which is kind of near Phoenix. Yeah. So he's got your kind of weather going on. Yeah. Yeah, it gets cold out there, though, at this time. You're actually surprisingly. Hmm. But. Yeah. Not negative eight. So no, not, this, this find, finding freedom within a prison cell thing is quite the hook. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's very, I had to write, super I had to write it down again. Yeah. I had to write it down again when you told me. Remember? Um, <laughs> it's super intriguing. <laughs> so what, what's that about? Yeah. I mean, um, where to begin? So just growing up, yeah, I told you I'm from Santa Barbara and it's one of the most beautiful places, honestly, in the world. People come from all over to, to vacation here. Um, but I had a lot of things going on at home with my parents. They were battling addiction, and it just really made growing up very difficult at times. So despite you know all these opportunities around me, despite people trying to help me, I started going down a, a bad path in life. I didn't really want to go to high school. Um, started using drugs and alcohol to try to numb out you know the, the trauma that I went through at home. Um, my freshman year, I was a surfer kid, good kid playing sports. That month, my, my dad went to prison and my mom left us. So I completely changed in like the blink of an eye. So for from 14 to 24, I felt like, you know, my life was hopeless and it was a really dark place in my life. And I ended up going to prison at the age of 23 for a crime I didn't commit. I was at a party and a huge fight broke out and these guys got hurt and I got blamed for it and I didn't even do it. So... I was sentenced to prison and you would think going to prison, well, my life's over, right? I've just kind of wasted away my adolescence, didn't apply myself, didn't do anything to be proud of. Now I'm going to prison where, you know, there's not a lot of hope for individuals. But what happened as soon as I got incarcerated and I accumulated a little sobriety, I started to feel alive for the first time in my life. I started to be able to see things differently because I had no distractions, no TV, no phone no podcast, nothing to pull my attention away. And I was in a cell by myself and I just started to look within and to start to reflect on my life. And the first thing that happened was I had immense regret and remorse for wasting my life. I felt like I had just wasted my life away. And at this point, they were trying to send me to prison for life forever, right? Somebody almost died and they charged me with attempted murder. So I was looking at maybe getting out when I'm 60 or 70 at best. So I... I took it as if my life was over. And I started reflecting on everything up until that point. And I, I just did not like what I saw. I realized all my you know, youth, I, I wasted opportunities. I didn't follow my dreams. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And I, I had aspirations, you know, I had things I wanted to do. And I just wasted it all and lived carelessly. And all the while I would numb myself with drugs or alcohol to try to avoid the pain from my adolescence, from my parents. And so, in that moment in, in jail, I could see the truth for the first time in my life that it was me and my choices that had got me to that point. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't the drugs. It wasn't 
you know, why is this happening to me? Because that's what I thought my whole life. Why is this happening to me? And so, you know, through that process, I was just honest with myself for the first time. And I started to kind of unravel the emotions that I had suppressed. I started to reflect on the events and the situations with my parents that I didn't want to look at for all those years. And I just started to accept them. I started to accept my life for what it had been. I wasn't running from it any longer. I wasn't in denial. And I felt a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. You know, I didn't realize that the whole time I was free, I was carrying this burden around. Like I was so ashamed and embarrassed by my parents that I, I was trying to hide from the world. And it was just like walking around with a mask on, you know, or like a cloud above your head. It's just always raining on you. So in jail, I started to feel this, this like internal peace that I had lacked my entire life. Um, and from there, I was able to start taking control of my life. I was able to heal from those wounds that had been you know, causing me so much harm and, and start to actually ask myself, what life do you want? Like mm. if you could pick and choose the life that you get to live and really look within your heart, who are you and what do you want to do? And at that time I had got my sentence dropped from life in prison to seven years. So I knew there was hope. I knew there was hope and I started to feel gratitude and desire for life for the first time that I could go out and do things. And I didn't look at prison as a limitation. I looked at it as an opportunity to get myself right here and here before I came home and had this new opportunity. So that's where that hook comes into play, that, that tagline. Like I literally found internal peace and freedom, what, it, what felt like freedom inside that cell. Wow. That is such a powerful story. The, the a couple standout pieces that I that I hear in that is one of identity that you were living under the identity of of uh, parents that didn't give to couldn't uh, at the time build a framework that you you know could follow in your life because I think many times as we venture off into the world on our own or at least in our own space uh, we follow the map that our parents gave us or people around us that respect you know that we respected and if we find ourselves in a new spot we go we look back and go what did you know what did mom or dad do or what did my you know my family do uh, and and we see ourselves out of this identity of who my who my family is and uh, and at some point in time, we transition, and it sounds like you had to come to that point of transition into who am I? And I and I might have come from these circumstances, but I am my own individual now, and I need to start crafting my own my own reality, my own circumstances. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was I was recycling, you know the anger and resentments over and over and over, and it warped my whole mentality. And I didn't, I lost sight of who I was. Um, you know, I started becoming more like my parents. I was mad at them. I was upset and I didn't know how to cope with that emotional stress. Mm. So I started doing what they did, drinking, smoking, anything to numb those feelings. And over time that, that led me to surrounding myself with different people than I had grown up with different crowds of people, friends. So I had to put on a persona or an image to try to fit in with them. And I lost myself in that. I lost myself. So I was so numb from substance abuse. And I was really, you know, creating a persona to protect myself, but it was causing me harm. So absolutely. I feel like when I went to jail, that was the first time that I, I, I had the opportunity to be who I wanted to be without worrying about what other people thought. Did you realize, was it a conscious uh, decision 
or were you consciously aware that you were using substances to numb sort some sort of background pain? No, I mean, I started when I was 14 and 15. And at that age, there's a lot of kids you see who are experimenting. And, you know, I, I liked it. I liked the way it made me feel. Uh, I felt like I could act more confidently when I drank at a party or, you know, fit in with everyone. So at that time, early on, I didn't know that I was doing it for those reasons. And then later on, as my addiction progressed, I did it because it helped me to feel normal at that mm. point. Like I got to the point where if I didn't take a substance or do anything, I would feel horrible. So that's when I was really a prisoner before I even went to prison. I was a prisoner to my addiction. Wow. Yeah, that's that's kind of the uh, the lesson in the 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 body itself has the ability to normalize nearly any circumstance. My normal is that it can be negative eight or like Francisco here listening on LinkedIn says negative 15. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks, Francisco. It could be negative 15 outside or uh, like you, your normal, right? Could be, hey, it's 72. And we can both adapt to these circumstances. And then our body, so our bodies can adapt also to the types of foods or 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 uh, chemicals that we take into our into our body, and and I think people who understand addiction understand that the body becomes dependent on these things, and so leaving that normal is painful, and leaving any normal is pain is painful to some degree. Um, the the other thing that I heard in this thing is I I, I in your I is, is was identity, but then the other thing I heard was attention, and the the concept that whatever we put our attention on or whatever we focus on develops, it grows. Um, when, when our attention is scattered, it's hard to really, it's hard to really dig into anything. And what you're saying is that prison kind of did what it's supposed to do, which is limit distraction and give you a place to, uh, to a place to in a sense recover or, or reassess or quiet the noise to some degree. And I, and I know nothing about prison to be sure. So, um, what was that process like? Cause you're, you're talking about it in very profound ways, but I'm sure it wasn't, it wasn't just like, Hey, I arrived in prison and now I can, you know, um, namaste. What, how'd you come, yeah. how'd you make it through that journey? <laughs> yeah, no, you're spot on though with that. You're spot on with the way you describe, um, limiting the distractions. Um, everything you said right there was a really good way to describe it. Where our attention, what do they say? Where your attention goes, energy flows. I don't know. There's some, yeah, that's there's it. some saying, but so I was so shocked by this experience that like, I can't even explain to you the emotions. It felt so surreal. It was like waking up from your, your worst nightmare ever and realizing it's not a dream mm. every day at first, every day was like, this is really happening. I see this in books or hear about it in books and, and movies, but this can't be happening to me, right? Surely they're going to come and say, you know, Crane, sorry, we confused you with this guy. You're going home. Get out of here. And that day never came. So when I got put into a cell by myself, you know, your mind's just going all day long. You're trying to process this. You're trying to make sense of what's happening and, and it's hard to do so. And I just remember late at night, when they would turn out the lights and I'd be ready to go to sleep, my mind started to come alive in a way it never had before. And this is when my sobriety was starting to accumulate. It had been about a month or two and I was, I was feeling different. I had been numb for so long. I started coming alive. That's what it felt like. I had more energy. I had emotions inside of me and feelings that I hadn't experienced ever. 
And they were good emotions. I started to feel this longing for life, like this love for life that I never had before because it was gone. These walls can find me. And I remember just sitting there in my cell having these, the most grandiose visions of things I would do when I went home. Like, you know, crazy things that you never think of. Like, oh, I'm going to go to McDonald's and buy a hundred double cheese and walk down state the beach in Santa Barbara where all the homeless people hang out and just pass them out. Like all these good thoughts and feelings started coming to me. I'm going to, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. You know, I'm going to like, I wanted to live life so badly in those moments. And I was just so conflicted knowing that I had these feelings now, these really remarkable feelings, but I, I wasn't going to have a chance to share them with people or to, to really um, pursue them outside of those walls. So late at night, my mind just started coming alive and I would envision things. And this had taken place after I really went through that deeper healing and coming to terms with my life and starting. To, so now I'm starting to just envision, well, what are the things you want to look back on one day? Like there was no limits at this point. You know, I almost, I was almost doing this as if, you know, I was going to die and it was my last chance to envision things I wanted to do. So my mind just started taking off and every night before bed for hours, I couldn't fall asleep. My mind would just race and I'd play through old scenarios or I would create new ones in the future. And my mind was just expanding at that time. That's the only way I can describe it. Wow. Was this a process that you went through alone or were there others that you worked with to kind of bring out or, or cultivate that, that, that kind of fertile ground to grow that new, that new reality? Yeah, here and there, there would be, you know, conversation. Um, not a whole lot, though. I had a cellmate for a little while who um, he was really trying to change his life and he was positive and we would bounce ideas off each other. But largely it was happening internally um, later at night or just in that internal dialogue with myself. Hmm. And how did you shift then when you came out of that? How, how did you shift your life into gear? Because I would, I would assume, you know, having spent, did you spend all seven years in there? Or did you get out earlier? What's I did five and a half years. Okay. So five and a half years out of, you know, out of normal life, you come out of normal, you know, you come out of this confinement, you've got, you've got these new aspirations, but then what, what, it, <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. it just yeah, seems, so. it seems like you're dropping a car into gear. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what, what was it so, like? All of those internal changes were taking place in the county jail within the first eight months of me being incarcerated before I went off to prison. Okay. So in that time, I was able to go through that healing process and start to create, you know, a, a new vision of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live my life. So by this point, I felt really connected to my authentic self. Like I was tapped back into that same kid that used to go surfing and play sports before my dad went away, before my mom left. That was who I was at the core. And I was able to reconnect with that person entirely. And it, that was the most liberating feeling I had ever had where I found the inside a prison cell because I didn't have to be anybody else. I could just be myself. And that was, that was monumental for me at that moment. So I went to prison, a man on a mission with the mindset that I'm going to do whatever I have to do while I'm incarcerated to better myself every day and to avoid negativity, to avoid conflict. I'm just going to try to better myself 1% every day. So that's what I started doing. And it started with the most trivial tasks and endeavors day to day. I'm talking about in jail, you clean your cell to be, you know, to keep your hygiene up and it's a dirty place. So you want to keep the inside of your cell nice. I would clean my cell floor like I was 
cleaning, you know, the emperor's palace with that much pride every day, every day. I would do that to the best of my ability. I would work out and I would just work out like it was going to be broadcast on television for the whole world to see. And I had to do every push up perfectly. Um, and what really helped me was I started reading and writing often. Now in the county jail, I realized I was horrible at spelling. I hadn't educated myself up to that point. So I had a lot of work to do. And I didn't like getting letters back from people saying, hey, Sean, you misspelled all these words. Or They would correct me on it. And I really? didn't like the way that felt. <laughs> yeah. So one day, you know, I kept asking my cellmate, hey, how do you spell this word? How do you spell that word? Because I didn't want to keep sending these letters home. And he threw a little dictionary across the cell, a little small pocket dictionary and hit me in the shoulder. And he's like, look it up. And he's kind of frustrated with me, you know? And I didn't like that. So in my head, I said, okay, I'm going to watch what I do. And I started looking up every word and writing these letters as if they're going to be published in the New York Times, like the best letters ever. And I started seeing my spelling improve. I started seeing my memory or speed of thought, just these little things. My mind was coming alive. And I would read books at night. You'd get books from the library there. They'd bring them to you. And uh, I would look up words in the dic- uh, in the, the books in my dictionary that I didn't know. And I'd keep a list. And just like a school kid would on Fridays, I'd take a vocab test. I'd quiz myself. And so I started learning all these new words. And I was feeling really good because this is the first time in my life I was taking control over the things that were within my sphere of control and doing them to the best of my ability. So that's when I started to realize how profound that process is because I started to have confidence that, okay, when you apply yourself, you can learn, you can change for the better. When you, you know, push yourself to do these hard workouts every day, you're getting stronger. And I started developing a really healthier self-image, a confident one, a belief in myself for the first time in my life. And this started to really transform my perspective and my mindset. So then I go to prison and I've already been really taking action to better myself. And I'm excited because I hear that they have college courses in prison. And I wanted to do whatever I could to better myself. So I enrolled in college and uh, I ended up getting four college degrees, associate's degrees while I was incarcerated just because I had time and I had the, the desire to do so. And so every day I'm not in prison. I'm a college student. I'm, you know, an exercise enthusiast. I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things that are helping me to just fixate on that endeavor and to like to block out the negativity. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was amazing. It, it transformed my whole life, really. Before my eyes, I ended up getting time off. You know, I got six months um, released early, six months from prison for my college degrees, and that gave me confidence. You know, that I could come home and and do things. Um, I just continued to build upon that confidence, all starting from that little pocket dictionary inside the county jail. Wow. Well, and starting prior to some some little nugget that that was in you that said, you're, you're worth more than this and you can be better than this. Where did that seed get planted? Who told you that? Yeah. So my uncle, Mike, he, he lived with us growing up. He was the most compassionate, positive person. And I felt like all of the qualities that I've been able to tap back into now and really my authentic self stems from his influence on me growing up. He was the one that protected my siblings and I when our home was, you know, a mess and the, there was all kinds of drama going on. Uh, he took me to all my baseball practices, took me to go surfing. So we had that bond and that relationship. And when I went down that dark path, you know, he and I grew apart. He didn't like seeing me like that. And he knew what I was going through. And he tried to talk to me about it, but I couldn't hear him, hear him because I was so hurt. So the most rewarding experience of me going to prison, yeah, I got to redefine myself and change my life. 
But before I left, he came to visit me in the county jail and he looked at me and he said, you're smiling and laughing more right now than I've seen in years. He goes, you're back. You know, you're back to that kid. And that's what had happened. I was able to tap back in that boy that he helped raise with all those positive qualities and knew he was capable of more. And, and that's what really helped me to start changing my life. Wow. So that does kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, where the, when we find ourselves in a new kind of uncharted territory, we go back to somebody else who said, here's the map. And sometimes we choose to go off that map. We say, screw that. I'm, you know, that's not the map for me, but yet, but yet there's some, sometimes there's that pull back to usually a map set by somebody that we respected, like your uncle Mike. That's awesome. That is fantastic. What a great story. Who, who, uh, when you, when you kind of, when you came out of prison, who was there to, to greet you for this, this new, you know, Sean 2.0? Yeah. My brother and sister picked me up. So we were out in the desert between California and Arizona, there's prisons out there and they picked me up and I have a tremendous support system. Hmm. Um, you know, I have aunts and uncles who love me and care about me, um, cousins. So my sister and my brother picked me up. And when we ended up getting back home, I, I stayed on my aunt and uncle's property for about two months, just somewhere safe to go, somewhere that was familiar that I'd known from the past, just get my feet back on the ground. Wow. And what is, what was the transition then like to where you're at right now? Cause now you've, now you've got a family, uh, and some young kids running around and you're, and it sounds to me like the, the energy in your life is directed towards building kind of a protection for them, uh, and, and, you know, being a good, a good leader for them. What was, what was that like? Yeah. So prior to leaving prison, I had been enrolled in various drug programs and um, I had the opportunity to become an inmate counselor, meaning I could mentor other inmates because I had accumulated so much sobriety and I was really an advocate of sobriety and changing your life, recovery, all these things. So a handful of us gravitated towards me. They saw the way that I conducted myself and that I had a positive mindset. I was able to mentor them. And through that process, I realized this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is what I meant to do. I want to come home, share my story to impact people who feel lost or hopeless like I did and show them that they can change and give them the direction to do so. So I had that seed plant and I come home and I'm on my aunt and uncle's property staying in an RV, right? I had nothing. I had $200 to get out of prison, no car, a couple of pieces of clothing. I have nothing. I have to rebuild my life. So I just started, you know, every day, little things like I did in jail to improve myself. And I ended up making a connection with somebody who was working in Santa Barbara at a gym. And they told me that because I love fitness and that was one of the ways I wanted to connect with people was through helping them with their health initially. And then I could share my bigger message. You know, that was my plan. And so he gave me the opportunity to work with him. I got certified as a personal trainer and I went there and met the owner of the gym and I got a job. So then from there, I worked for about a year helping people to improve their health and getting familiar with what it was like in that industry, just all the little nuanced details. But I knew I had a calling for for more. I wanted to impact more people. So I left the gym and I started my own company. And that's when I was really able to to expand and connect with more people. Um, And then I took my business online and started to have a lot of success. That's when I, I reconnected with my wife, Jessica, and she's been the biggest support system, you know, I could ever imagine. 
And we just fell passionately in love. It was amazing how it all happened. I mean, if you think that the story of me going to prison, how I changed my life was intriguing, the way things unfold since I've been home have been nothing short of miraculous. I mean, all these pieces just falling into place. And so, um, you know, through our relationship and then starting to have children together um, and, you know, business and, and taking off, I'm working as a life coach now and helping people all around the world. Uh, it's just continued to grow and expand. And it's been an amazing journey. Now I get to three beautiful children. Um, you know, I get to help people all over the world and and share my story in a way that can be, you know, positively impactful. And that's, that's my vision. That's what I first envisioned in the county jail. When I tell you my mind started coming alive was doing what I'm doing now. Um, I, I envisioned doing the Ironman. I did that since I've been home, being a father, raising children, uh, done that being a, a life coach and helping people to face their fears and pursue their dreams. Uh, and then just recently, this stems from that pocket dictionary, writing a book. I wanted to write a book and share my story. Um, so I released my book in January, January 11th. It hit bestseller status talking about my incarceration, my, my changes and the things I went through. And so all these, all these dreams, all these visions are coming to reality. It's just been an amazing journey. That is so uh so timely, you know, you, you asked how, you know, how long I've been doing this coffee with humans thing before the broadcast. And I said, April, 2020. And then I, I, I started on this short little rant about why coffee with humans exists. And I'll unpack that a little bit for you and for our listeners. Uh, I think that humans have three distinct powers that nothing else in the world gets. That is number one, to name our present reality and name a different reality that we'd like to see. We can define that. Nothing else gets to define its reality. It just exists. Number two is we get to take steps to create that reality, to move to the reality we want. And number three is we get to destroy the things that no longer serve us, that are preventing us from moving to the reality that we want. Those three powers, naming, creating, and destroying, are given to people. And when when we don't when we don't pick up those powers and move our lives forward we tend to we tend to fall back we fall back into despair we fall back into hopelessness we fall back into troubles and when we do pick those things up and say no that's the reality i want and then we connect with some sort of energy that that inspires us that keeps us moving in that creative force the universe bends to our will and that and and you're you're a living proof of that the universe bent to your will to say no, I'm I'm not going to accept who I was. I'm going to accept. I'm going to move on to create a totally different, uh, totally different Sean in a totally different world. Yeah, and I love the way that you describe that. That's so powerful. Um, and it is bending reality, shaping your reality. And so I remember when I came home. You know, I just went through five and a half years of prison, and you know, found this inner peace and this gratitude. You would think like my life's complete at that point, right? Like everything else is just icing on the cake, so to speak. But I came home and I knew I had a, a vision and a bigger calling. So I experienced almost the same thing all over again. Like the fear, can I do this? Um, you know, uh, I was back home in this familiar setting. I had a job waiting for me. I had a lot of things that were there that I could have just settled into and had a pretty decent life. But in my heart, that's not what I wanted. So I had to continue to do what you were just saying. Like, really stay focused on that vision and, and take the steps to get there. And this just came together. I mean, when I first came home, there was these 
fires that burned down all of our surrounding community. My uncle's almost burned down and we were displaced. I had just gotten certified for the personal training position. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, gosh, we're displaced. I can't start the job yet. Then the next week, torrential rainstorms came down and flooded the whole area. And in Santa Barbara, there was mudslides that went across the freeway and it took people's lives. They went through their homes, through the freeway. So the freeway was shut down. Santa Barbara was covered in mud. It was chaos. And I'm stuck in this small little town an hour away wondering like, what am I going to do? I felt like my dreams were just slipping away from me. Um, so I ended up calling a friend who I knew flew planes. He just happened to be coming to that county on Monday to pick up his boss who worked at a major hotel in Santa Barbara to fly him in. I said, can I catch a ride with you? I need to come and secure this job. This is how bad I wanted to create this new life. So I went down and met him that Monday morning, flew into town and we're flying over the mudslide. It's only a 30, 40 minute flight. So where are you staying? Like, what's your plan? I said, I don't have a plan. I'm going to secure my job. He's like, you don't have a place to stay? I said, no. He goes, well, my dad actually has a room for rent. His, the college student that was staying there moved out two weeks ago. So I went to the gym, met the new owner of the gym, met my future boss again, re reacquainted with him. He said, okay, you start tomorrow, 5 a.m. Then I drove to my friend's dad's house, met him for the first time. I gave him all my money that I had saved up. I had no money, but I gave him all of it to secure first month's rent. And then I found this old car, right? So my uncle, he has a mechanic in Santa Barbara. He said, hey, call up Jim. He has all these old beaters. He might be able to give you a car or sell you one for cheap to get around. But I had no money. So I went and met him. And there was a Honda Civic with the whole rear end smashed into the, to the <laughs> like, you would never drive this around. You wouldn't even want to be seen near it. And like, I got to take it, right? I have no choice. He said, just drive around for a couple of weeks till you figure it out. Uh, within 24 hours, I had a new job in a new industry. That's what I wanted to do to help people. I had a place to stay and I had transportation. And that was my beginning into entrepreneurship and like getting my foot in the door to really saying, okay, I'm, go I'm going after this. I'm all in, you know? <laughs> oh my God. So one of the things that you, one of the things that you keep on going back to is that you, you, you talk about calling and, and I've talked to hundreds of hundreds of entrepreneurs and small business owners and, and, uh, and, and sometimes people talk about calling and I'm curious from your standpoint for our, for our viewers and listeners, what does that feel like? Cause so many people struggle with identifying calling. What's the feeling? Yeah. So I had no idea what that would mean either. Like purpose calling. What is that? When I went to jail, like I told you, all the noise was drowned out. There was no phone. No job, no children. It was just me and my thoughts. And when we can really reduce stress and put ourselves in a place to reflect, you start to learn things about yourself. And this is what happened to me. And I realized for my whole life, I was listening to doubt and fear. And I would take action in accordance with those emotions. And that's why I was getting those results. So I started recognizing that. And I realized my whole life, I had this desire to do something. It might've been a small thing, um, you know, get up in class and share in front of the crowd, go out for the baseball team, ask the pretty girl out. I never did that stuff. That was like what I wanted to do. But then it was like, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you'll probably fail. Oh, they're going to laugh at you. So I've been reinforcing this negative mindset for years. Once I recognize that and I could just start taking small steps towards following my heart and my intuition, I started to open up this whole new, you know, dimension of possibility. Like, wow, imagine if I do follow my heart and listen to that natural desire. Because we all have that. I have an impulsive thought. 
I want to go do this. And immediately there's a, a doubtful or fearful based thought, right? So imagine what our life would be like if we just followed through and listened to our heart. I started doing that. I started doing that in the smallest, you know, most trivial ways. Like me writing letters home and trying to correct my spelling. You know, the old me would have laughed at that. Like, dude, don't waste your time. Who cares? I did it. I was like, no, I want to better myself. Me going after college courses. I never would have did that. I would have been too scared, scared to fail. What if I'm not good enough? I said I had to, right? I have to do this. Then when I was in the drug program, uh, I had to get up and speak in front of all these inmates, these guys that are not happy to be there. And I'm up talking about changing your life, sobriety, stuff they don't want to hear about. But in my heart, it felt like the right thing to do. And I was really scared to do it, but I did it anyway. And then afterwards, some of the guys came up and told me, hey, we're glad you shared that. It helped me. So all the while I kept doing this and I started realizing, wow, this is the tick to me living the life I really want. Like I'm doing what I feel in my heart is right. And I'm getting positive feedback and it's, it's giving me confidence and forward momentum. So um, that's when I started mentoring the guys there. That's when I really tapped into like what you asked that you're calling. Um, I knew I had a message to share. I knew my story would impact people because I went to prison for a crime I didn't do. And I was a broken individual and I found peace and self-love inside a cell. I'm like, if I can do this in here, people out there need to hear this message and learn these steps and what I went through. If I can reach one person and they can find this love inside themselves that changes their life, then that'll be worth it. So that was my call. And it unveiled itself to me through facing my fears and taking opposite direction to follow my heart. And then it started to become more clear. It wasn't like I didn't wake up one day and it was just vivid and picture perfect. I had to, it had to materialize through the right actions over time. Yeah. Huge key uh, that I think folks probably will take away from this uh, is the reinforcement of the thing that we don't want to do. So you talk about fear and negativity and why me and I can't and all this other stuff. When when we take action or inaction, depending on how you look at it, towards that fear, we just reinforce it. And then we look back and go, oh, I couldn't and I didn't and all sorts of stuff. It's like, no, you could. Uh, and I, and you, you're, you're physical fitness, dude. And um, I, I've coached uh, CrossFit for some time. And when I coach folks who lift, you know, they're lifting from the ground up, right? And they got to get the, they got to get the bar up to here from the ground. And I, it's hard to describe without showing you, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And hopefully our viewers know, right? So we got something on the ground. We lift it up here. And they say, they, so many times the bar comes up to here and they're like, I can't lift it. And I'm like, you already did. You didn't catch it, but you actually already lifted it. And so I said, so I start breaking down these barriers by not saying you can't because you already did. There was something else you didn't yet do because you don't know you don't yet know how. But changing that mindset from I can't, I shouldn't, I won't, those are such definitive uh, statements that are just walls. You just throw up a wall in front of yourself instead of saying, but what if I did? Or I'm not yet sure how. I don't know. It, all of a sudden we open up into, but I could, I could learn. And and it it flips the it flips the script a bit for ourselves. And as soon as we take that one action that reinforces positive positive forward movement, all of a sudden those fears that became so big simply because we kept on piling them over here, all of a sudden we take and we just like throw them away, throw them away, throw them away. And this starts to go down. And all of a sudden our capability and like oh gosh, 
things I can actually move. I can actually create. All of a sudden, that pile starts getting bigger over here. It's it's so it's uh, uh, I don't want to say it's simple because it's not. But in, there is a simplicity to your you. We do create our our present reality to a great degree. And if and if it's full of fear and and stopping things and not doing things, well. Sometimes it just takes doing it, like, you know? Yeah, you broke it down perfectly. I mean, the fear, that stuff, does. it's just a figment of our imagination. The action is what brings it to life. Yeah. And like you said, then we reinforce that fear-based mindset or the self-doubt through the action or inaction. So that's why people get stuck. They don't have the awareness to understand what's going on, and then they don't know how to get out of that. Yeah. So like, like fear of fear of public speaking, you know, it's a huge, huge deal for people. And they say, well, I can't speak in front of anybody. And yet you already did. You just like, you just spoke. It wasn't great. It's not up to your standards, but why should it be? You've never, you've never done it. You've never practiced in a grander, you know, in a grander place. And if you did, if you just took that one step forward, all of a sudden you'd, You'd, cre you'd, you'd create that cycle of positivity, the cycle of success, and that that has a way of, of uh, compounding. It's like compound interest, right? You can compound your fear or you can compound your freedom. How's that for a word? <laughs> fear and freedom. Yeah. Right? And that's and, – and like you talk about, you took, you took the, the – what, what could have compounded into a worse scenario – for you in, but you, you, you turned it around and you said, no, I'm going to start compounding these, these positive movements when I can limit distraction, when I can focus my attention and I'll, and, and you created something. I mean, kudos to you. It's, it's amazing. My son here is the compound effect. Ba -bow. He sells insurance yeah. full-time while going to school full-time. Wow. Crazy. Well, that's it. He, right. The compound effect. That's right. it. Yeah, man. Such a great story. Uh, so, so um, I want to say inspiring, but I, I use that word. I hesitate to use that word with people because I don't, I, I, uh, I don't think any of us need or deserve the weight of like, now, Sean, you got to try and keep it together to continue to inspire us. <laughs> I don't think we need that weight, <laughs> right? It's like, that's awesome. I'm going to take pieces of that, right? And I think our viewers and listeners take pieces of that story and say, okay, how can that apply to me? Not push, not push Sean onto a pedestal um, so that you got to, you, you know, you got to watch yourself because I don't think you need the stress and strain of, of uh, keeping it together for all of us. But how do people, how do people get your book, and how do they get in contact? It's with you? a, yeah, my book's available on Amazon. It's uh, my name, Sean Crane. The title book is Prison of Your Own. It's, it's available on, uh, yeah, it's available on ebook and paperback and hardbook. And then you can follow me on on Instagram or Facebook. I go by Sean Michael Crane on both those platforms. Um, so that'll be a way that they can. Follow me or get in touch with me if they'd like. That's awesome. I'm so happy and excited that you would choose to have coffee 
uh, with me. As we close this time out, I'm curious. Uh, sometimes I ask this at the beginning. Sometimes I ask at the end. What inspired you to have coffee with me? I was waiting for this. I saw that on the, the opening. <laughs> I I love coffee. And your, your picture was awesome. So I don't know. I thought I had this image of us just sharing a cup of coffee talking. So that's what drew me in, man. It was your, your logo. That is so great. <laughs> Hopefully that was the answer you're looking for. Hey, I, there's no right or there is no right or wrong answer. I, I'm just thrilled. Uh, I'm thrilled to be able to create this space. I know I need it in my life. Uh, and I know, and I'm convinced that if there's somebody that, that if I need in my life, there's somebody out there that's exactly like me, just like you got to know, and, and you, you must've heard it by now that the, the path that you've traveled, there's somebody else who's traveling that path and they need to hear that if, if they need to know, if, if they need to know where to go, you got to go to somebody who's been on that part, part of the path before that's, that's the gift it's not only a gift for ourselves, but boy, it's a gift of influence for the world. Uh, how are you? How are you paying forward this? How are you paying forward this journey besides the book? Uh, well, I coach. I'm a like I have a you know a program, a community of people that I coach. Um, is that what you mean? Like, how am yeah. I sharing this with people? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my clients, they you know they know my story and they know my message, and helping them to face their fears and to pursue the things that they've wanted to do or achieve their whole life that maybe they haven't been ready to, or they haven't, you know, been willing to pursue. So, um, seeing them transform their lives, their mindset and achieving things that they've dreamt about for years. It's that's so fulfilling and rewarding. Awesome, man. Well, thanks uh, for joining me on coffee with humans, making the world a better place. One conversation at a time. This has been Sean Crane. To our viewers and listeners, catch us next time for a live, raw, unedited conversation with a stranger who becomes a friend. Thanks, Sean. Thank you for having me. One of the things I love about Coffee with Humans are the raw conversations I get to have, meeting new people just like you. If you or someone you know should be on Coffee with Humans, go to coffeewithhumans.com. Remember, the only rule is no sales calls. This has been Coffee with Humans. Subscribe to get updates or click to have coffee with me. Coffeewithhumans.com.